0: This is the Marathon Training Academy podcast, episode 410.
1: Thanks to UCAN for sponsoring this episode. UCAN is offering the MTA community an exclusive chance to try six edge gels for free. All you pay for is the cost of shipping. Head over to UCAN.co forward slash MTA to claim this exclusive offer. That's UCAN.co forward slash MTA.
0: Thanks also to the Drury Hotel for being a long-time faithful sponsor of the podcast. They have over 150 locations in 26 states across the U.S. They have one right here in Pennsylvania, downtown Pittsburgh. I stay there a couple times a year. They are famous for their 530 kickback, which gives you free food and drinks. And check it out. You can save 15% at any of their locations, including their brand-new, beautiful Orlando location close to Walt Disney World. Use the code RUN. That's R-U-N. At druryhotels.com for 15% off.
1: And finally, thanks to MetPro Nutrition Coaching for sponsoring the podcast. You can speak with a metabolic expert about your goals and get actionable steps toward fueling for performance, losing weight, adding muscle, or changing your body composition. Go to MetPro.co forward slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. Oh.
0: Hey, hey, welcome to the MTA podcast where we empower and inspire you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: In this episode, we bring you an Ask the Coach QA. We're joined by our head coach, Nicole Hart, as we tackle a whole host of questions sent in by our awesome listeners. We'll talk about calf cramps getting back into running after having a health issue, speed work drills, plant-based diets, fueling for a marathon, recovery, scheduling, picking yourself up after a DNF, and more. And as always, you can go to marathontrainacademy.com to find out how to become a member and train with our awesome online community. We'd love to have you. Well, we just got back from the Revel Mount Charleston half marathon in Las Vegas. We got to meet so many of our amazing listeners and academy members and coaching clients. So we actually have a lot to talk about uh, just from this last weekend, but we're gonna wait until our next episode. Right now we'd like to give some shout outs to some people that finished the Los Angeles Marathon. We had listeners and followers and clients run this, but uh, we'd like to give a shout out to our coaching client, Jared, who finished his first marathon in LA. He works with Coach Henry and check it out. He finished in 324.
1: That's so awesome. We also heard from Nahum, he was at the LA Marathon. He said, hello friends, I ran the LA Marathon to celebrate my 70th birthday. It was my 51st marathon. My first one was back in 1981. Now I'm on to the San Diego Marathon for number 52 in June, God willing. And this comes from a member named Matthew. He says, last weekend I ran the Shamrock Marathon in Virginia Beach. It was my second non virtual marathon. My previous best was 412, including my virtual marathons. Based on training runs over the past few months, I was confident I could beat four hours. But I was sick for two weeks prior to the race and was only just getting over it the week of the race, so my confidence had lowered quite a bit. But I pulled off a 348 at the marathon. The day before the marathon, I ran the 8K with my daughter and she beat 40 minutes. I love the running base she has built and her healthy love for running, which I hope carries her on for her
0: whole life. Love it. Congrats on that awesome PR, Matthew. Keep up the great work.
1: And this comes from Reagan in the Academy. She says, Wow, I completed my second marathon of 2023 yesterday. I'm a physician's assistant in the ICU and the pandemic took a toll on both my mental and physical health. Early in 2022, I knew something needed to change. I was skeptical about MetPro, but decided to try it after listening to Angie's and other success. I worked with coach Jess for several months and lost 30 pounds and was able to slowly start building healthy habits back into my routine. Nice. In September, I decided to try MTA coaching. Coach Nicole was great to talk with on my intake, and I've been working with coach Athena since then. She has really helped me build up my running base in a safe and injury-free way and is has has given me lots of recovery and strength pearls. Thank you, MTA community, for all you've done to get me back on the road to health and running.
0: Love it. Thank you for sending that in, Reagan, sharing that with our group. And massive congrats to all the progress you've made. I never heard it described as strength and recovery pearls.
1: Well, like pearls of wisdom, you know? Yeah, like
0: (laughs) gems, pearls. It sounds more elegant than nuggets, isn't it? Angie's sharing her coaching nuggets with us on this podcast. (laughs) Actually, we have two coaches sharing their pearls <laughs> on this episode. Coach Angie, as you all know, she I'll just give you a quick bio. In addition to being a certified running coach, Angie is also a registered nurse, and she has run over 70 marathons and ultras. Coach Nicole is also a registered nurse and strength coach, personal trainer, running coach, and she's the head coach at MTA, so she oversees our coaching program and our awesome team. So of course when we do this we get tons and tons of questions. Of course we don't have time to answer all of them on this episode, but big thanks to everyone that sent in a question. We're going to cover some really cool topics that's going to be helpful to all of you listening, just give you some knowledge and help as you pursue your goals. So let's get into our Ask the Coach Q&A right now. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. All right, we are back in the basement podcast studio for a Ask the Coach Q&A. So we're going to get into all kinds of great questions sent in from our community. I'm sure everyone knows who Angie is by now, but probably know who Nicole is. She is uh, our head coach at MTA. So if you're a client, you've talked to her. If you've emailed us, you've you've probably talked to her. Nicole, let's go back to uh, what got you interested in becoming a running coach.
2: I found that working as a nurse was very difficult, especially with a young family and having a husband who was active duty in the military. And I had started getting really active with running marathons and doing things like that. And I decided I wanted to go into the fitness industry instead. So I first became a personal trainer, got certified in that, and then became a running coach and um, never turned back.
0: And how many marathons have you done?
2: Oh, gosh. I'm not (laughs) sure, actually. Um... Because like I did a couple a virtuals, more than a dozen.
0: Okay. And a 50 miler.
2: And a 50 miler and a 40 miler and a 12 hour run, which was 52 miles and a couple 50 Ks.
0: Oh yeah. That 12 hour run. That's, that looks yeah. so miserable. You're like yeah. running around a park.
2: Yeah. A park about a mile from my house. So <laughs> I signed up again for it this year. It's kind of open ended how many laps I'll do. Okay. But I can always just go home if I want so it's yeah. kind of convenient or I can go home have a nap and come back and start, and do some more maybe
0: you can do your age in miles which we won't reveal
2: oh no I keep on getting older I have to run even more
1: no <laughs> or thank <in> you kilometers
2: <laughs> oh maybe maybe yeah. I should do that since that, you're
0: Canadian you ooh. can do kilometers maybe so the first question we have is about tight calves and uh, this comes from Christy she says hi I'm wondering what is your best advice in regarding tight calves and calf cramps. We also heard from Brent who said, Do you think using biofreeze or some kind of like cream like that is a good idea during a run? I was thinking about trying it as my plan A. He says, Plan B, if that doesn't work, I'll rub my eyeballs and then I'm pretty sure I won't be distracted by my calves anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get biofreeze in your eyes. All right, so let's talk about tight calves. I will kick it over to Coach Nicole.
2: Yeah, so this is a really common thing that happens to a lot of people. And we get this question a lot, actually, in our support inbox and on our Facebook page. So this is a really common problem. And I've experienced it mostly at the end of a long race or a long run is when you're Most often going to experience this. So they're often a result of the muscles fatiguing during a long run or intense session or not warming up properly before a run. So if you're planning on going for a long run, it might be a good idea to do a good dynamic stretching routine before you go out. And maybe some foam rolling can either kind of warm up those calves and get them ready for the intensity of the run. And if you feel pain when you're running, you can try to stretch them out a little bit. If you feel pain, though, when you're stretching, you may have strained your calf. So that would be a time to stop and run another day. Um, But often it's just it needs to be stretched a little bit. Uh, Maybe you can change your pace a little bit and you might be relieved. I've worn compression socks sometimes during my runs and that can help a bit. They're also caused by uh, muscle overload um, in the later stages of a race. And dehydration and electrolyte imbalance can cause this sometimes during like a marathon. If it's hot weather and you're not drinking enough, maybe not taking enough electrolytes, you may have more cramping than actual tightness. And Often, I found in a marathon, especially in the last miles, sometimes I won't feel it in my calves first, I'll feel it in my hamstrings and my quadriceps, and then it kind of moves down to my calves. So it's really common. And sometimes just taking some more electrolytes, changing up your pace a little bit um, maybe even just taking a short walk and trying to get rid of like sometimes they'll just go away if you just change what you're doing not always but sometimes now as far as the biofreeze, I know that a lot of races offer that in the last few miles so it must work for people Mm -hmm. and if nothing else it's going to numb it enough that you're going to be able to finish the race but I wouldn't use it routinely for training and every long run because then you're just going to be masking some of the pain and that might be a problem so if you know you're in a marathon, you're on mile 23, and they're offering it, and you you just want to try it, I wouldn't say that that would be any problem at all.
0: But definitely don't get it in your eyes. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And I've heard that a sore Achilles sometimes is because of tight calves. Have you guys heard that?
2: Yeah, and sometimes people with low arches can also get more problems with their calves. I know my husband's like that. He's got lower arches, so he's had more issues with his calves, tight calves.
0: All right, let's talk about warming up before a run. This is from Katie, an Academy member. She says, should you do glute activation exercises before every run? Angie, what do you think?
1: Well, it's one of those questions where it kind of depends. There's certainly nothing wrong with doing glute activation exercises if you find them helpful. And if you've dealt with glute or hamstring issues in the past, it can be beneficial to do some dynamic exercises to activate the glutes before running. Speaking from personal experience, when I was dealing with my high hamstring tendinopathy, my physical therapist recommended some glute and hamstring activation exercises that I did before my runs. But if you're injury free, then this is not a necessity. Instead, maybe do some general. General dynamic warm up exercises, especially if you're running first thing in the morning and your muscles are still cold, you really haven't moved around a lot, or if you're running after you've been sitting for long periods of time. Those are a couple cases where it's really important to just make sure your muscles are warm and that you do a good warm up before you get into um, your running routine. So, stretches like down dog is one of my favorite ones, and this actually helps with tight calves. And I like to get in that down dog position, it's a yoga pose. And then it's called walking the dog. And you kind of just bend your knees and just feel that nice stretch in your caps. Walking lunges are great, low lunges, deep squats. You know, you kind of find the areas that are tight in your body and address those directly. So, you know, I think every runner should come up with a pre run warm up. But whether it involves glute activation exercises depends on if it's a need of yours or not.
0: All right, good stuff. Let's talk about getting back into running after injury and or weight gain. This comes from Jill. She says, I struggle to get back into running after dealing with health issues that caused me to gain weight. She says, I'm now 25 pounds heavier than I used to be, and I'm just struggling with how to resume a running routine. I just don't know the best way to return to action without injuring myself or overdoing it. So I guess my question is, how do I resume running after a long break and after gaining weight?
2: Well, Jill, I think the first thing you should realize is that you can't expect to go out and be at the level that you were before. So just give yourself a little bit of grace and just expect to, you know, take it slow. If you haven't been doing any type of regular exercise, I would start with just walking maybe three to five days a week and maybe some cross training, you know bike rides. Um, If you want to go to the gym and get on the elliptical machine or the rowing machine, that might be a good way to start. Just start building up your endurance again. And some core work is also important. You want to really take care of those muscles that are going to support your running. So start with that for a few weeks um, before you even try to run. I would do that. Then you're going to set yourself up really well. And then when you do get out for your first run, start with some run and walk intervals. So don't just start running a mile at a time because you're going to feel discouraged after a few minutes. Before running, uh, make sure to do dynamic warm up like we talked about earlier. It's really important to get warmed up before you start running and walk for five to 10 minutes and then figure out what intervals you're going to run and walk. And this can be variable according to you know your ability at the time, your fitness, but you could probably start with one minute of run, but make sure it's an easy easy run. Don't push the pace at all. This is not sprinting. This is running very easy. You should be able to breathe pretty easily and then walk for one minute and then just keep on alternating back and forth. Um, If you have a smartwatch or a running watch, a lot of times you can program it or even on your phone you could do that so you know when to run and when to walk. And do that for probably 10 or 15 minutes, those intervals. And then cool down with about five minutes of walking. Try this routine for about three days a week, every other day, not two days in a row at first, and see how you tolerate that. And then every week, as tolerated, you can add a little bit of time to your running intervals. And I wouldn't add more than, you know, 30 seconds, a minute at the most. For that running interval at first. Just take your time, progress slowly. And of course, I have to talk about coaching because we do have many people that come to us after either an injury or a setback in the running. And we are able to design a personalized program for them so that we can get them running again, feeling good, feeling supported and motivated to get back on the road again.
0: Yeah, I always love the, uh, the run-walk idea. It just makes long-distance running like, within reach and so accessible. And uh, you know, I do a combination of run-walk myself.
2: I've definitely done it in training. Even if I'm just getting back from either recovering from a race and I'm just getting back to running again, sometimes I just allow myself to walk. I mean, there's nothing wrong with walking.
0: But some people, you know, especially if they're new, they feel like I'm not a real runner. If I'm walking, like I have to be pushing this pace. I have to be going 100% all the time. And uh, somehow walking disqualifies them from calling themselves a runner.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. Walking is so healthy and wonderful for the body. And all of us runners walk at some point. So you're in good company.
0: And I'm in really good company with these coaches right here. So we're going to keep working our way through these questions Let's talk about time management. Yali, an Academy member, wants to know, with a busy life, parenting and working, if a workout has to go, like you got to cut a workout out during your training, which one should it be and which should be kept? So maybe, Angie, before you answer this question about you know which workout can kind of go and which should be kept, can you tell people about what your morning looked like, like in terms of like <laughs> parenting and time management? This happened this morning.
1: Yes, so definitely... We all have real lives. Um, We have three kids still at home. Our oldest is a senior, and he usually drives the sophomore to school in the morning. But I woke up this morning to find that he was in bed sick. So I had to call him off sick to school. And so our middle son does not get up easily. He's not a morning person, and it's very rocky. In fact, to go in and wake him up in the morning, you basically get your head bit off. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of parents will relate to that. Um, So then I had to drive him to school. In between this our 12-year-old son is having a hair crisis. Anyone with a middle schooler or someone in <laughs> pre-puberty is going to resonate mm-hmm. with that and he is telling me he needs a haircut now. I'm like, well, you know, we're going to have to schedule one. Hopefully this week it'll work out. We'll get you in as soon as possible. No, you know, so he's in the bathroom with kitchen scissors trimming his bangs. That's all before like 7:15 in the morning. <laughs> So, you know, all of us runners are going to deal with scheduling conflicts during training. And sometimes you can move a workout to another time of the day, but there are times that the wisest course of action is to skip a run. Some of the times when it's actually better to skip a run include when you're ill or when you got very little sleep. Getting sleep is so important. Generally though, I would say that easy paced runs can safely be skipped. However, if you feel like you're a bit low on energy and you still want to run, then skip the speed work and maybe substitute in an easy run. If finding a time block for the long run is problematic, then consider or splitting it into two sessions when you're in a marathon training cycle basically the long run is kind of that keystone workout of the week so it's very important that you're getting your long run in but sometimes you know people don't have a two to four hour block to get that long run in and so occasionally splitting it up can be good for many runners the first workouts they'll drop from their schedule are their strength training sessions However, this can have negative consequences if it becomes a regular habit. So if you find yourself pressed for time, consider shortening your strength training session, if that's the workout that's kind of on the chopping block. Even 10 to 15 minutes is better than nothing. Or maybe pairing it with another activity, like if you watch TV in the evening, just grab a pair of dumbbells and do some exercises while you're watching your TV show. Um, If you have a run on the schedule and you don't have enough time for the whole thing, you know, consider chopping it down if you don't have time for your six mile or maybe get out for three miles. I think the key thing is not to feel guilty if you have to occasionally skip a run, because it happens to all of us. Um, Just try to be smart about the runs that you do skip. And if you find yourself skipping your speed work every week, kind of ask yourself, like, is this something that I feel intimidated by? Do I not have enough energy to get this run in, you know, kind of see what runs tend to fall by the wayside or workouts. And sometimes you can kind of diagnose and under line issue. So yeah, you know, we all deal with it. And if you have to skip a workout, then, you know, maybe an easy run would be a good one to put on the chopping block first.
0: Yeah. And Yali, if you want any more help with skipping workouts, just reach out to me. I'm really good at it. (laughs) I can skip workouts with the best of them. In fact, the last marathon I ran last summer, now I didn't plan it this way, but in retrospect, I called it my long run only training plan.
2: Oh my gosh. (laughs)
0: Nicole, what do you think about that style?
2: Oh, I do not support that. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: why you barely came in under the time limit.
2: <laughs> oh, boy. I think most of our coaches would um, probably advise our running clients to maybe um, rethink their goal. And maybe, um, you know, if their life is not in order to uh, get all the runs in, it, maybe it's just not the right time to train for a marathon
0: quick break here to thank our awesome sponsor, MetPro. If you specifically want help with dialing in your metabolism, these guys are pros at that. Uh, We read a shout out from Reagan earlier uh, in the episode. She says that in early 2022, she knew something needed to change. She was skeptical about MetPro kind of sounds like you were, Angie. (laughs) Yes, I
1: was very skeptical.
0: (laughs) But after hearing about it on the podcast and hearing the success that people have had with it, she jumped in, gave it a try and lost 30 pounds and was able to build back her healthy habits. So that is what we love to hear. They've helped so many people in our community. And if you want to give them a call, uh, just reach out metpro.co forward slash MTA.
1: That's right. And if you decide to work with a Met Pro with their concierge coaching, tell them that we sent you and you can save $500. Just head over to metpro.co forward slash MTA to take advantage of that.
0: Thanks also to Athletic Greens, makers of AG1, the ultimate daily all-in-one health drink. It's just deliciousness in every scoop.
1: As listeners know, I take AG1 first thing every morning. It's just a great way to kick off my healthy habits for the day. And it really simplifies your supplement routine to feel like you're really filling in those gaps in your nutrition and doing something that's really healthy for your body and for your active lifestyle. Um, AG1 is awesome. I recommend it to family members. have had several family members start taking it. And of course, my kids drank it. Our cats would probably drink it if we gave it to them. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> so go to athleticgreens.com slash MTA and get five free travel packs and a one-year supply of vitamin D. That's athleticgreens.com slash MTA. All right, the next question is about speed work. Monica wants to know, why do coaches give interval workouts at the track in the first half of a training cycle and tempo workouts? Is there any other speed work that we could do besides these two? So the question is, What else is there besides interval workouts on the track and tempo runs?
2: Yeah, so marathon training, there's a lot of different things you can do. And at different times in the training cycle, you're going to do different types of workouts. I know Angie and I both taken the RRCA Running Coach Program, and that is Roadrunners Club of America, and they certify running coaches. And the things that I learned there was how to build a marathon training plan. And in the first if you look at it like a triangle and at the bottom part of the triangle, is that first cycle. And it could be anywhere from three to nine weeks and you are building your strength. And those workouts, typically, you know, you're doing your easy runs, but you're also doing a couple days of quality workouts. So that can include things like fartlek runs, strides, hill repeats, that type of thing. So shorter intervals to start building that strength. And they can be on the track too. But um, typically, I don't put most people on the track. They've, some people find that a little bit intimidating, or they're not used to being on the track. So you can just do it on the road. And a lot of times it's by time, even when it comes to, you know, your strides or your fartlek runs, you could just do it by time. It doesn't have to be exact. And then later on after that first building block, then you're going to start doing the longer tempo intervals. This is to improve your endurance and to improve your lactate threshold. So this is the level that you can work at intensity and still get enough oxygen in your blood to sustain that high intensity effort over a specific period of time. So this could look like running longer intervals at around about a 10k race pace or some a pace that you could maintain for about an hour pretty comfortably like I I like to call it comfortably hard. For those intervals and you really are just building your endurance and that's really important for marathon training and you could even start working longer intervals anywhere up to uh, like a mile a mile and a half often i'll give my marathon runners some marathon race pace intervals to do especially during the long runs not every long run but maybe every third long run I will have them run easy for a few miles and then dial in that marathon race pace anywhere from, depending on the length of the run, anywhere from five to eight miles. And so they are going to get used to running that race pace, plus they're building that endurance and they're just working on that fitness. And then in the last few weeks of training for a marathon, sometimes it's good to go back to those shorter intervals. And this is going to improve your leg speed, your turnover. And this could be things like strides and just pickups during the run. Sometimes I'll have people just run a 60 minute run and just randomly throw in 30 second pickups here and there. And then of course, recovering between them. But this is a good time just to work on that speed a little bit and strength at the end.
0: Well, that's interesting. So it's not like speed workouts are just sprinkled in a training plan willy-nilly. There's strategic reasons for what speed workout goes where in a training plan, like a three-layered pyramid, Yes, you're saying.
2: exactly. Mm
0: -hmm. Ah, I didn't know that. Now you know. How about Angie? Did you know that?
2: (laughs) Yes. I knew it at one time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Angie has forgotten more than I know about running.
2: Yeah. So Trevor, what kind of uh, intervals do you like to do? What kind of speed work do you like to do?
0: You know, Yasso 8s is an incredible workout. I haven't done them in years, but... (laughs) (laughs) But they're great. (laughs) They are.
2: It's the only one you can think of.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yasso 8s need to be done on a track.
2: Well, they don't have to be done on a track. Ideally, they're done on a track, but you can do it on a flat road as well. And you can program it on your running watch. You can program 800 meters and then the appropriate recovery time. You know, they can be done because not everyone has access to a track. Yeah, exactly. I mean... I've even had maybe one person do them on the treadmill. It's not ideal because the treadmill is really propelling you to maintain that pace. And it's not really a true effort in some ways. But if, you know, there's no other option, I've had people do them on the treadmill. Not the greatest one.
0: So I love running on trails. All the marathons I've done recently have been trail marathons. And I love running fast downhill. So does that count as speed work? What do you ladies think?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're training for a downhill race or even a hilly race, they're important at the beginning of the training cycle to do those shorter hill repeats. But later in the cycle, sometimes I'll have people do long hill repeats. So if you can find a really long hill to climb that takes you anywhere from three to five minutes, I mean, that's ideal if you can find just a gradual hill. And then if you're training for a downhill race, then you want to work on that downhill technique as well.
0: Yeah. All right. So next question is about recovering from a bad marathon experience. This is from Rebecca. She says, I have a question about DNFing marathons. Of course DNF is did not finish. She says, the first marathon I ran was excellent. I didn't hit the wall. I felt great at the end and I qualified for Boston. Since then, I've had several awful marathons. One where I completely hit the wall and finished 25 minutes slower than I wanted. One where despite my best training cycle ever, I got hypothermia at mile 21 and had to drop out. She says, an emergency room is not a great finish line. And then most recently I ran the combos marathon, which started by going a half a mile in the wrong direction. (laughs) I'm sorry. I heard about that. Oh, that's terrible. Who starts everyone going the wrong direction? That's like when you watch your kid's basketball game and your son finally gets the ball and he shoots it the wrong way. (laughs) Scores a point for the other team. All right, so she says. Uh, combos marathon started half mile in the wrong.
1: Show some compassion. <laughs> oh,
2: that's like epic fail. It's
0: Like oh a trash. That's pretty comedy bad. of errors. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it might have been an issue of the like police escort vehicle that was starting out the race, going in the wrong direction. Okay, so but thousands of people were still affected. So yeah, had a great time.
0: Yeah, that's rough. So it added a full mile to the course. And then uh, she says, I'm gearing up for yet another marathon in a few weeks. But my confidence is pretty low after all these things. What would you recommend as the best approach for the upcoming race?
1: Well, Rebecca, I'm really sorry to hear that your most recent marathons have been so tough. In her question, Trevor didn't read, but when she qualified for Boston, it wasn't enough that year to actually get into the race. So she kind of has this like Boston qualifying time hanging over her head and, you know, three awful marathons that would shake anyone's confidence. You know, so like none of us would ever choose to go through those things, but we can use them as tools and they can be used to make you a stronger marathoner because every failure gives us a chance to learn. I would say after you kind of come to peace with stuff like that happens to everyone, maybe not three marathons in a row, that's, you know, pretty grueling. But kind of think about some takeaways from those tough marathons. What could you learn from them? Maybe the marathon where you hit the wall was a result of not fueling well, or maybe pushing the pace too much in the earlier miles. By taking the time to process the disappointments you've been through, you can turn the DNFs into motivation for your upcoming marathon. So instead of it getting in your head, and it being detrimental to your upcoming marathon, it can actually kind of add fuel to the fire. The fact that you haven't given up even after these tough marathons really tells me something about your strength and your character. Obviously, marathons are very challenging, and there are many factors that we can't control. But we can control our mindset, and we can go in as prepared as possible. So many marathoners find that having A, B, and C goals can be very helpful. So for example, in your case, maybe your A goal is to run a bit under your BQ time so that you can get into Boston. Maybe your B goal is to run a PR and your C goal might be to give it your all and finish strong. So I would encourage you to go into this next marathon with mantras that resonate with you, Focus on running a smart pace, follow a fueling and hydration plan, and smile, which really helps mentally and physically. The bottom line, as psychiatrist Dr. Phil Stutz says, is that there are three aspects of reality. There's pain, there's uncertainty, and there's constant work. And the way to be happy is to learn to love the process. So my advice is to show up to your next marathon and give it your best. And Dr. Stutz says, quote, true confidence is living in uncertainty and moving forward.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of how you just never know what the marathon's going to throw at you. Never know what's going to go right or go wrong on race day. It's such a big puzzle. And that's what makes the marathon so tough and intriguing. You know, it's a wild ride. And I was also thinking you might want to go back if you haven't heard the episode with Bill Drinkward. We had him on the podcast last year. He's a coaching client of ours. His first marathon, he started off in the medical tent and decided, hey, I, I don't know what I don't know. So then he reached out, started working with us and has qualified for Boston multiple times. And it was the perfect example of what Angie said of like taking that disappointment and using it to fuel his motivation for figuring out like how could he fix what was wrong? How could he handle the challenges a different way and, and, and learn what he didn't know? So it's a real mark of resiliency. You get knocked down and keep going.
2: Yeah, I often tell people when they ask the question, why do people run so many marathons? Like, Why would you do another marathon after doing one? Because a lot of people, it's just their bucket list and they just want to do one. But what happens is often is that you finish your marathon and you think to yourself, I think I could have done that better. Mm -hmm. What could I have done better? And I know that's for me. Every time I thought, well... What can I do differently? How can I do this better? Am I ever going to be satisfied at the end of the marathon that I did everything right? And I don't think you can ever truly feel like that, unfortunately. (laughs) Really?
0: (laughs) Angie, what do you think? You've done 70 marathons. What do you think?
2: I would say maybe
1: there's like two or three of them that have felt almost magical and the rest have just been grueling. Right. Exactly. That's not a very high ratio. Unfortunately,
2: (laughs) maybe we shouldn't be advertising that. (laughs) I think it's a
0: reality
1: to be honest, but
0: it's a beautiful struggle. It is.
2: Yeah. It's good to set your expectations the right way. You know, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be things that happen and you have to just take the best out of the experience.
0: You know, I don't know if I feel the same way about my marathons. I've done like 18, but I'm not like as driven by time goals as a lot of runners. So I'm just happy to finish. And the question is, is there good beer at the finish line? Do I feel good after I finish? I hate to be just totally wiped out. Can I still do stuff the next day? Like those are kind of my metrics. Quick break to thank our episode sponsor, the Greenbrier River Trail Marathon. We just got to meet the race director, Kellen, uh, last weekend. Super cool guy. So the Greenbrier River Trail Marathon in half takes place October 8th, 2023 in beautiful Pocahontas County, West Virginia.
1: This will be the sixth year that they've been doing the marathon and the third year for the half marathon. It's a flat, fast, scenic, point-to-point USA certified marathon course. And it runs along the namesake Greenbrier River on the Greenbrier River Trail, which is an old railway bed. Most of the course is smooth packed gravel with two miles of pavement toward the finish. And at mile 15, the course has a unique feature. It runs through an 80-yard long tunnel.
0: Yeah, so if you're looking for a small-town race in beautiful West Virginia, check them out. The course record is 2.32 for the marathon, but they have a generous cutoff time of eight hours. So it's a great race for all runners and walkers. So if you need to add West Virginia to your race 50 State Quest, check out the Greenbrier River Trail Marathon. Just go to grtmarathon.com, grtmarathon.com. Let's talk about fueling for plant-based runners. Nicole is a plant-based runner, in fact.
2: Well, not completely, but...
0: Okay, other than <laughs> other than the McRib when it comes out every every <laughs>
2: No, I'm a pescatarian, but pescatarian, I eat dairy as well. So I'm not plant-based completely, but I do eat a lot of plant-based diet. Yes, that is true.
0: Okay. Jen wants to know as a plant-based runner, what are some good options for a post-run snack and how soon after the run do you recommend taking it? And then this is from Lisa. She says, what are good sources of protein for runners who don't eat meat? What's a good protein powder? Nicole what do you think?
2: Well this is a great question and I've worked with runners that are plant-based so I've actually gotten a lot of ideas from them as well which is helpful and it is much more common now. You can find great products now and just there's a lot more options than there used to be. So Post run, after your run for recovery, you want to look for a combination of carbohydrates and protein, about a three to one ratio. So the best thing you can do is stick to real food if you can, if that's an option. Examples of plant-based foods for this are plant-based yogurt, and it could be made from nuts like almonds or cashews. There's a cashew one that I really like, or soy milk soy milk actually has I think the highest protein so it's almost like a greek yogurt and you can add fruit and granola to that you can also add things like chia seeds hemp seeds there's a lot of fun seeds like flaxseed. Um, this is all going to add a lot of extra protein and uh, nutrients you can also make a smoothie that's the easiest thing to do and especially if you can be really organized and maybe get that ready before you even run and kind of have everything in the blender ready to go so then when you get back you can just blend it quickly so you can have yogurt in there you can put some nut butter some and maybe even a protein powder other good foods you know depending what time of the day that you run you if you run in the afternoon then you might be having dinner afterwards you could have tofu beans quinoa lentils, or if it's, you know, closer to lunchtime, you could have like nut butter on a whole grain bread. Um, I like oatmeal in the morning. That's my go-to usually. And I add granola and nuts and sometimes a scoop of almond butter or something like that to it. That's going to give you a good protein carb combo. There's also some vegan protein bars that you can use that actually have are made specifically with that 3-1 ratio. An example of that, um, Picky Bars makes a really good one And they have a new product also that's a nut butter bar, and it's even higher in protein. I think it's got 10 grams of protein in it. So if you're really in a rush and you don't have time to, you know, prepare something for yourself, that's a good grab thing that you can do. And as far as protein powder, you should really pay attention to the labels. So there's a lot of variety out there. And, you know, if you're looking for plant-based, you want to look for protein sources such as pea protein, rice protein some seed proteins like pumpkin, chia, and flax. And check if there's a lot of added sugars, you don't want that, or artificial sweeteners. You're aiming for about 20 to 25 grams of protein per serving. And a lot of them, it's good to look for third-party testing that means an independent organization has tested them for quality and safety. And the protein powder that I found recently is called Momentus. And I think actually I found it from Dr. Stacy Sims. She had listed that as a good one, and it has 20 grams of protein and only two grams of added sugar. So that's a good one. It comes in chocolate or vanilla, and I don't like it with the water. I usually <laughs> mix it with almond milk or oat milk, and that makes it really tasty. And then you're getting your carbohydrates as well. So that's a good one. And as far as time. Timing with your recovery foods, there's about a window, about 30 minutes that is the best time to get it in. So if you can be organized, know what you're going to eat when you get back from your run, just get that in. And then if you want a larger meal later, you can do that. But try to get, you know, your carbs and protein in within about 30 minutes.
0: I just remember this, our sponsor Prevenix, the folks that make Joint Health Plus, the joint supplement we take, they make a plant-based protein powder called Nourify, and you can actually get 15% off that one. Uh, with our code MTA over at Prevenx.com. All right, this next question is about fueling during menopause. Reagan wants to know, should my fueling for marathons and ultras change in the perimenopause slash menopause years? If so, how?
2: My, my answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have learned a lot through Dr. Stacy Sims in her new book, Next Level, that is a great resource. Um, if you don't have that book, run out and get it because it really has a lot of great information. I've also been able to take her Menopause for Athletes course, which I found very helpful and it really breaks down the nutrition part of it and, and the reasoning behind why the fueling should be so different at this time. And i am it's a work in progress, I'm still figuring it out and I know Angie's probably working on it too because it is a whole new way of eating your regular meals and fueling for your runs and you really have to put a lot more thought into it. And I think the most important thing to remember is that we're not gonna do any restriction of calories Or any certain macronutrient. We want a nice balance of everything because when you start restricting, your body goes into like a stress level. And at this time of our lives, our stress levels are already high. Our body's going through a lot of changes, and that can increase our cortisol levels and it can. Uh, depress our thyroid function. And all of that is going to really affect how we store fat, we're going to gain weight, we're going to feel terrible, (laughs) we're not going to be fueled properly. So the most important thing is to keep up your nutrition, make sure you're eating enough. And as far as you know, specifics, um, we're looking for higher protein throughout the day. It's really important that you're eating higher protein, it's going to fuel your runs much better. So she says to aim for around 2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. And this is a lot of protein. It's a lot more than you're probably eating. And I don't think you should be, you know, keeping track of it every day, but maybe just for a week really pay attention to your protein, see how much you're really getting. So you're looking for over 100 grams of protein for sure. I think it, I've even seen where some people want to try to hit 130. I think that's really hard. Like I when I write to keep track of it. It seems like a lot of food
0: seems like especially if you're plant based.
2: Yes, for plant based and you actually your protein, you need to be really creative when you're plant based because yeah, a lot of foods don't have that high, high protein, like it's not like eating a piece of chicken. So So the important thing is that you don't ever want to eat 50 to 60 grams of protein in one meal. That's not, it should be spread out through the day. Your body will actually react to it better. So break it into meals and snacks. You know, so if you're eating three meals a day and a couple snacks, try to think about at least 25 grams of protein per meal. That's a good number. And then 15 to 20 grams per snack.
0: Okay. I'm just curious before you talk about carbs, Nicole. Nicole and Angie, both of you, what did you have for breakfast in terms of protein? What was your protein source this morning?
1: Um, I make these, they're called superhero muffins out of Shalane Flanagan's cookbook.
0: Oh, I love those things.
1: So I usually have one for breakfast and then I have one for my mid-morning snack. And they only have about 10 grams of protein per muffin. So I usually supplement that. And so I had a couple scoops of protein powder in some almond milk with a bunch of raw spinach in there and a banana after my run just to kind of even out the macros, but... <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so I had breakfast before I ran today and this morning I had two eggs. And they have each six grams of protein. And um, I had a vegetarian sausage with it. And I think that has around six or seven grams of protein. And then I had an English muffin for my carbohydrates. And with my coffee, I love espresso in the morning, but I make myself a latte and I use oat milk with that. So that's a little more protein, a little more carbs. So that's what I had for breakfast.
0: I like your breakfast. That sounds good. (laughs) We're talking about fueling during menopause. So let's talk about carbs.
2: Right. So carbs, that get a bad name sometimes, especially for women at this time of life. You're scared of eating carbs. You think you're going to add weight and fat, and that's not necessarily true. You need to think about what kind of carbs you're eating. You want quality. So we're looking for things like a lot of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, and low sugar. I think that's the most important thing that you can think of when you think of carbs. So things like sweet potatoes. It's not just pasta and rice is what people think about when they think about carbs. If you are an athlete, and you want to improve your performance and stay healthy at this time of life, you really have to be very aware of what you're putting in your mouth. And you can't get away with what you used to when you were younger, unfortunately. So let's think about quality carbs when you're eating your carbs. And Dr. Sims recommends about two grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight. So that's still a lot of carbs. You know, you got to think about what you're eating during the day. So make it count if you're, if you're eating those carbs. And then fats are important as well. You want to think about healthy fats. You know, olive oil is great. Avocado oil. Um, I always put an avocado on my salad at lunchtime. That's a good fat.
0: A whole avocado?
2: I put half a day. Okay, <laughs> I save the next half for the next day, <laughs> and I also like seeds too. I put a, a, like pumpkin seeds usually for a good crunch, and then I have a source of protein, and then. Um, I know there's a lot of talk to about intermittent fasting and different types of diets like keto diets. But like I said, we're not going to do any restriction at all. We really don't recommend fasting at this time of life. Your body, like I said, is in a real stressed level already. And by fasting and restricting, you're only going to increase that and it's going to affect your performance in, in athletics, especially. So if you're an active person, you should be eating regularly. You should not be restricting your food at all. You just need to think about the quality of what you're eating. Timing is so important as well as far as your nutrition. You don't ever want to go into a workout underfueled. It creates more stress in your body and it undermines the benefits of the exercise. Now, during exercise, this is the tricky one. I think it's tricky. <laughs> you know, instead of just the regular energy gels, we have to kind of change what we're doing because those are really high in fructose and we don't metabolize fructose as well as we used to. So when you're thinking of how much you know, fueling you need to take for your long runs, um, Stacy Sims also recommends that you take about one calorie per pound of body weight per hour of running. So an easy way to think about it is that if you're 140 pounds, you're going to have about 140 calories per hour of this type of fueling, something that's going to you know keep your energy really even during your runs. So if you can find something that doesn't have the fructose as the source of sugar, that would be better for you. And it's difficult, but there are some products out there.
0: So would UCAN bars work or like their edge gel since they don't have fructose, I don't think?
2: I think it's something to experiment with during your training
1: and races because it can be a very convenient source of fuel, if it works well for you. Um, I know that because of the carbohydrate source is not a simple sugar, it doesn't spike your blood sugar. And so you're not getting those peaks and troughs in your blood sugar. And you know, in your perimenopause, menopause, your blood sugar tends to be a little bit more out of whack. (laughs) And that can be one thing if you have high blood sugar, low blood sugar that can spike cortisol, which is that stress hormone, which adds unwanted fat, you know, all that cycle of unwanted things. So you know, a product like UCAN that doesn't spike your blood sugar would definitely be more recommended than, you know, maybe some out on the market. Um, I've been using UCAN for many years, even pre-perimenopause. Pre-perimenopause. There's a (laughs) mouthful for you. (laughs) (laughs) Back when you just have the regular terrible hormonal fluctuations. (laughs) Mm. And, you know, it it settles well with my stomach and gives me good energy. So it's, you know, something that I'm going to stick with.
0: Yeah. Hey, if you want to, try their edge gel, see how it works for you. I know we've turned hundreds of people onto UCAN and like Angie said, we've been using it with great success for years. Go over to UCAN.co forward slash MTA. Use the code MTA, you can get six edge gels to try. They'll send you a sample pack, just pay shipping. So a free sample pack, just pay shipping. Give UCAN a try as a fueling source for long runs, exercises, and just everyday energy. UCAN.co forward slash MTA. Okay, let's talk about rest days after a marathon. I'll send this one over to Angie. Courtney wants to know, can you please address the days after running a marathon? I ran the Little Rock Marathon this year on March 5th. Oh, congrats on that. She says, I'm eager to get back into training, but I also want to prevent injury and burnout. I'm 41 years old and I feel as if I have many miles left in me. How many rest days do you recommend after a marathon? Also, when is it safe to get back into a training schedule? I have my eye set on completing my first 50K in early November. But perhaps this is just the runner's high talking.
1: Well, congratulations, Courtney, on running the Little Rock Marathon. I'm sure you're enjoying your ginormous medal. I'm sure they still give those out (laughs) at Little Rock. It's such a great race. And I'm glad that you're focused on giving your body the rest and recovery time that it needs post-marathon. Like you talked about, there can kind of be that runner's high that you accomplish something so awesome and you just want to like jump right back into something challenging. Um, But it is important to give your body the time it needs to rest and recover, especially as a master's runner those of us who are over 40. So I will say the amount of rest that you need after a marathon often depends on how much it took out of you and if you're currently healthy or if you're struggling with illness or injury. I'm gonna assume that you're feeling good after the marathon and so I usually recommend to people what I call a three week reverse taper. So we all know what the taper means, we start to, you know, kind of gradually cut down um, the length and maybe intensity of the runs a little bit before our goal race. But this time you are tapering back up to your normal running routine. So I usually recommend for about the first week focus on getting extra sleep and good nutrition, stay active, but be careful about high impact or strenuous activities. I like walking, you know, maybe gentle hiking, biking, swimming, yoga, any other lower intensity activity that you enjoy can be really good. Because the more active recovery you get, actually, the faster your body feels better, gets that stiffness out. But you don't want to be stressing your body during this time. And so it's actually more important that you sleep in maybe if you're a morning runner, just take an extra hour to sleep, do a little bit of walking that day, kind of, you know, get things loosened up. In week two, reincorporate shorter, easy runs. So maybe like 20 to 45 minute length of runs on the days that you normally run if you're feeling good. Now, obviously, if you have some sort of issue that comes up and you don't feel like your recovery is going as well then you might want to be a little bit more gradual um, about incorporating your running again and then by week three start to extend the length of your runs a bit more and see how your legs and body feel if your legs feel like they have good energy and your overall energy levels are good your your sleep has been good then At this point, you'd probably be okay to just kind of get back to your normal running routine, your normal strength training routine, of course, you want to get back to that. And, you know, after that, I would say by that month period, you should be free to start another training cycle if everything is going well. So I think that a 50k in November sounds like a great next challenge for you. I think you're going to have fun and hopefully enjoy that great new training block.
0: Okay. The last question is about strength training. This comes from Eli, an Academy member. He wants to know with strength training, if you're able to get to the gym two to three times per week to lift heavy weights, is it still necessary to do the body weight stuff like planks and bridges and so forth? Or does the heavy lifting cover all of that? And we actually have a strength training resource in the academy now that we're really proud of there's strength training for runners beginner and advanced and coach nicole created it and uh so we're going to kick this question over to coach nicole strength trainer extraordinaire (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you put that on your resume now
2: yeah right well you beat me to uh start advertising the strength training for runners because i was going to mention that because in the beginner section of that there is a lot of focus on the core work because your core is the foundation that is going to hold up the rest of the body and that support that heavy lifting. So if you haven't had a chance to look at that program, I know you're an academy member, take a look at that beginner level and see some of the exercises in there that are focused on the core. There's some planks in there, um, glute bridges, lunges, side planks, we're doing a lot of things in there. Squats. Um, squats with just body weight first. So you really want to keep that core nice and strong so that when you are doing the heavy lifting, you're not going to get injured and you're going to support that heavy lifting. So it's still really important to do it. And I know it's difficult sometimes in your training schedule to figure out where am I going to put all this is too much to do. I don't know how I can fit it all in. So you know, if you're lifting heavy two days a week, and I would prefer or recommend that you do that on your hard workout days. I do that when I have my hard workout day like a speed workout then I'll go back and do my heavy lifting so that that day is truly a hard day and then my easy days are truly easy. So on your easy days when you're just going for easy runs uh, maybe two or three days a week you could do some core work and it doesn't have to be extensive. You can do 10 or 15 minutes of core work either before or after your run. If you do it before your run it's a kind of a good warm-up getting things warmed up a little bit and afterwards it's always a good way to cool down so either way. So examples of core exercise are planks, clamshells, glute bridges, hip circles, leg swings, donkey kicks, and fire hydrants.
1: Um, I think one of the strengths of the MTA strength training plan is that it does really address your core and then gets you into the heavier lifting. And it's more of like the compound lifting movements, your squats, your deadlifts, things like that, that are really valuable to you as a runner. Because a lot of people go to the gym if you're just using machines and isolation exercises, that doesn't really translate to what we do as runners. So a lot of those compound movements that are in the strength training program that we have here are so helpful. And you you know, obviously, you can do those at your gym as well. But try to lean away from the machines and do more of like body supported things where you're having to balance and you're going through various hinging movements. Um, because I feel like that's going to be more valuable to a runner, you know, who's not necessarily interested in just pumping up the muscles. <laughs> you know, you're not going really for size as like a bodybuilder would.
2: Yeah, And I would say that, some of the most important exercises in there that we do are the single leg exercises.
0: The single leg squat, and then we have the uh, Romanian deadlifts. Deadlift. Yeah, yep. that's
2: great for balance. And because when you are running, you are in one leg at a time. So sure. you have to support that and uh, get your body ready for that.
0: Well, I know you both love strength training and you've seen it pay off in your own running. Thank you everyone who sent in a question for this episode. If we can help you in your marathon training, uh, reach out. You can find out more about coaching at marathontrainingacademy.com forward slash coaching. Or hey, get this. You can actually book a free consultation call um, and you can talk to Coach Nicole herself.
2: Yeah, I'd love to talk to you if you have some big goals this year or if you're just coming back to running, it's a good time to hire a coach. So if you get on the phone with me, we can talk about what your goals are and we can talk about how a coach can help you reach your goals.
0: Perfect. Nicole, always an honor to have you on the podcast and thanks for all the hard work that you do for MTA as head coach. Uh, It's just awesome to have you on our team.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be in the studio with you.
0: All right. Well, always fun to podcast with Nicole. She is awesome. And we're just so thrilled to have a team of wonderful coaches who are experienced and knowledgeable. They have done what you want to do. And sometimes to get from point A to point B, to get to where you want to go, you just need someone to walk with you to help you on that journey. And that's what our coaches are able to do. Whether it's uh, qualifying for Boston, running sub four hours, running sub three hours, doing your first ultra Uh, We've got Coach Henry on our team who just absolutely loves ultra clients. He's an ultra runner himself, does 100 milers. We also have team members who are really good at coaching and working with back-of-the-pack runners, masters runners, uh, runners in their 60s, even runners in their 70s. So just go over to our website right there on the homepage. Boom, you can see where you can book a free 30-minute consultation call. And of course, over there on our website, we've got our podcast episodes articles all kinds of cool stuff and a contact form if you want to send us a question we'd love to hear from you you can also find us on instagram at marathon academy until next time be safe out there and remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life